All right, so we're uh, we're live now with our third author live reading of the day. I don't want to take up too much of his time. And, uh, you know, I actually had notes in here that says I was starving, but I'm really not that hungry right now. I think it's just <laughs> all the adrenaline at this point. But uh, I'm going to step away and let Dale introduce himself, tell you a little bit about his novel, Good Company, which is the third book in the Fifth Ward series, and have him read an excerpt from the novel. So, uh, so Dale, you, you know what to do, so take it away. I know what to do. All right. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Absolutely. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Dale Lucas. I'm the author of the Fifth Ward series from Orbit Books. Um, the third book, Good Company, came out last summer, last August. Here it is right here. Um, the, the basic thing you need to know about this series is that it's fantasy, and it's kind of like if you took a buddy cop story, like Lethal Weapon or 48 Hours or something like that, and you plopped it down in the middle of like Middle Earth or a setting like that. Um, basically, we have a young man who's run away from home, Rem, and he ends up in this huge uh, coastal crossroads city, Yanara, and he manages to get a job on the local, uh, what are called the Ward Watch. And um, He's partnered with a very uh, violent and belligerent dwarf named Torval. Um, and as happens in most uh, buddy cop stories, you know, at first they have to fight with each other. Eventually they come to love each other. They solve mysteries and they deal out two-fisted justice. Um, the first two stories, uh, the first one being First Watch, the second one being Friendly Fire, took place in Yanara in the confines of the city. And in the third book, I wanted to do something a little different. So we got them outside uh, the city. And basically, they have managed to catch a notorious forest outlaw, kind of a Robin Hood type, who has ventured into the city for some personal business. Um, and they're going to deliver him. He's known as the Red Raven. They're going to deliver him to a neighboring free city, Herald. Uh, and collect a big reward on him. But along the way, on the journey, all kinds of terrible things happen. They don't know who they can trust because they're traveling with people from other places that they've never met before and that they don't really know. Everybody's got an agenda and um, zany antics ensue. So anyway, uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read you an excerpt from this. It's a little different. Uh, from a lot of excerpts. Very often I'll start with something from the beginning of the book, but this is actually pretty deep in the book. Um, and basically what happens here is that uh, Rem has been captured. Uh, oh, and by the way, to all of you folks doing the live comments and saying you're excited for the reading, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm very excited to read for you guys because I actually love doing readings um, and I don't get to do them very often. So anyway, um, we'll start. I don't think you need to know much more than Rim has been separated from the folks he's been traveling with. Um, he's been captured and he wakes up after being unconscious for a while. Wakey, wakey, a croaky voice said, accompanied by a waft of fetid air that Rim assumed was the speaker's rancid breath. He didn't really want to open his eyes. His head felt too large for his shoulders and ponderously heavy, like an overfilled wineskin. He managed, however, and was most puzzled by what he saw. Everything was upside down. No, that couldn't be right. He was upside down. He could feel it now, his tied feet far above him, his arms hanging below, 
his body and head swaying gently on the end of his tether like the clapper in an iron bell. His mouth was dry enough to sand lumber with, and his throat felt as if someone had tried to hang him and mucked up the job. He tried to draw a deep breath, gagged, and launched into a terrible coughing fit. The spasms that racked him as he coughed made him swing in a slightly wider arc. Trying to stop the coughing and catch his breath while hanging head downward like this was nigh impossible. But, he supposed, at present, that was the least of his worries. What truly concerned him was not how terrible he felt, nor how helpless he was hanging by his bound feet about an arm's length above a wood plank floor. No, what unnerved him, what terrified him really, was the rustic ugliness of his surroundings and the hideous troglodytic visages of the three figures who stood before him. One wore a mask, a human face, Rem realized with dread and astonishment, or rather pieces of human faces sewn together into an unholy patchwork. It wasn't orcs after all, Rem thought. This is where that poor fellow's face got off to. Behind the flesh-masked man was another tall and muscular, but twisted as well like a gnarled oak, shoulders uneven, a hump on one shoulder blade, head bent at a strange sideward angle, one arm ending in a stunted two-fingered hand held against his big chest, the other arm dangling at his side, impossibly long. The third figure was an old woman. Her face looked as though it had been carved from a sun-seasoned piece of old tree bark, lined and weathered and bleached and creased, framed by thin wisps of white tangled hair. She only had one eye, where another had been was nothing but an empty black well, but that single orb threatened to pop right out of her head, bulging against the failing restraints of her eyelids. Merciful. She was the closest, the one who'd blown her rank breath into Rim's face as she'd urged him back to wakefulness. Merciful Amen. Gods of the panoply and saints of grace and fortune, don't let me die here, Rem thought suddenly. Anywhere else, in the woods and the river, tossed from a cliff, mauled by a bear, but not here. Not among these things, these half-people, errant from a nightmare of big witches and child-snatching ogres. There he is, the old crone croaked. She was bent double. Her head craned almost upside down to match the position of Rem's. She stood uncomfortably close to him, and he could smell her even when she wasn't speaking. She had a reek like rotting flesh and sickness. The big one with the twisted body clapped its mismatched, misshapen hands. It babbled in a low, throaty voice. Rim thought it might be speaking the common tongue. There was something familiar in those words. But the thing's horrid mouth, tongue, and palate, pure wreckage all, like a gaping entrance to a collapsed mine shaft, kept it from forming its words correctly. Sable says he wants the leg, great mother, the one with the quilt-like human face mask said. I'll settle for the soft bits, his bobs and his black nappy and the red ropes. What are you, hog, Swifty? Great mother said impatiently, her face still an inch from rims. His questions need answering. Catherine, the big one, Siebel, said. You heard me, Great Mother snapped, now standing to her full height, which was only a little taller than Torval. The old crone was so withered by time, so bent by the blows of fate and circumstance, and Rim guessed inbreeding, that she looked almost like a butcher's hook on legs. She turned, addressing someone unseen. Brown Bon, Foxy, stoke that fire. We need the cauldron boiling. 
Stout, someone said. It sounded like a woman, but Rim couldn't be sure. Sandry hills it is, Great Mother crowed, then stalked toward whomever she was addressing, giving Rim a casual shove as she did so. Suddenly, Rim found himself spinning on his tether, the whole topsy-turvy world around him whirling in lazy circles with no means of stopping in sight. He caught scattered impressions of the place they were in. It was a cottage of some sort, roomy inside, with a high ceiling and a great deal of space between the visible walls. It was sloppily made, wide gaps between most of the clapboards that made up the outer walls, allowing pale sunlight in from the outside. Every inch of the place was littered or decorated with the castoffs of these terrible, bloody-minded wood folk. Small fragments of bone, crumbs, old dried leaves, and desiccated clumps of moss littering the floor. Ragged furs and half-cured pelts and great swaths of flayed and half-tanned skin nailed to the walls or hanging from curing hooks. Iron tools from an age already ancient when Hobbes' folly had been full of life and hope. Strange bottles and jars filled with all sorts of horrifying, quasi-identifiable flora, fauna, or body parts. And ill-made, tilting furniture that would have been comical if it hadn't been found in such a hideous, hellish place. All around him with the smell of death and decay. The coppery tang of blood. The astringent stink of piss and the low, mulchy odor of excrement as well as a horrid, rotting scent that reminded Rem of both worm-ridden fruit and fish left to ferment in a hot sun. The others, Brown Bon and Fopsy, stood behind Rem, shuffling around a great stone-ringed fire pit built inside this fire trap of a house, brilliant, attending to a giant iron cauldron hanging above crackling flames. Fopsy was indeed a woman, thick through the middle, barefoot, thin, stringy hair having mostly fallen out in clumps, wearing an old ragged dress that had clearly been taken from a rich owner five or ten years ago. Brown Bond had his back to Rim, so he could see little of the man, no matter how many times he passed through Rim's spinning vision. From the back, he wasn't so fearsome, just a man, thin, bony, a little hunched, but Rim guessed he'd be just as vile once he got around to revealing himself. Gods, what had he gotten himself into? The one-eyed old woman, great mother, turned back toward Rim from the cooking cauldron. She shuffled nearer and lowered her terrible, time-furrowed visage close to Rem's. Before speaking, she reached out a single bony hand and arrested Rem's spin as well. Now then, she said, once more blowing that rancid breath into Rem's face. Let us have a palaver, eh? How would supper like that? He was entirely too close. He could not only see that she had no teeth, but could make a close examination of the yawning black wells in her gums where teeth used to be every time she spoke. And did she just call him supper? Palaver, he managed. Absolutely, as you wish, madam. Ask me your questions and I'll answer honestly. You have my word. She hit him headwise. Shush now, supper. You talks too much. Forgive me, Rim said, trying to maintain some modicum of restraint. How came I to be here, may I ask? She hit him again harder this time. Quiet, says I. That's talking, ain't it? The one with the human face mask, Swifty, slid into Rim's field of vision now. His body was rocked by strange spasms. When an odd sound emanated from the strange goblin of a man seconds later, Rim realized he was laughing. Snickers that rocked his whole body as if he was on some hilarious joke that Rim himself had missed entirely. You stalked the coney he said, fingers fluttering like an excited child's, even as his heightened deep voice told Rim that he was probably at least 30 or 40 years old. 
That was my my trick, my trap. Swifty caught you, didn't he? Caught you good. He launched into another laughing fit. Watching that patchwork mask of noses, eye holes, mouths, and ears stretch and contort as he brayed beneath it was going to give Rim nightmares for the rest of his life, if he did get out of this mess alive. He wondered if the effect might be less loathsome, less disturbing, if this Swifty just wore a single face at a time instead of this hideous slapped-together monstrosity. Great Mother drove one fist into Swifty's gut and he spat out a breath, wheezing. He bent double and moaned as the old witch turned back to Rim. Crack that hog trough! She muttered, idle, prattling, foolish boy. It hurt, Great Ma, Swifty said. And good thing it did, she hissed. Elsewise, you might not get that message carried, eh? Uh, look, Rim said, voice calm, eminently reasonable. I was separated from my friends. They'll be looking for me. If they find me in this state, he indicated his topsy-turvy position, they're liable to be quite cross with you. What say you cut me down and see me on my way? Great Mother smiled a little, then made an offer of her own. What say we cut your throat like a pig, dress you like a deer, then stew you like a stringy old horse? Rem weighed those words. She was utterly serious, even pleased by the prospect. Uh, not my first choice, he said. Let me do it, Great Ma, Swifty begged, having found his breath in his voice again. Let me bleed him. Siebel shuffled into view now, the big twisted oaf with the misshapen limbs and bent neck. Me too, me too, he chuffed. Yeah, madama, bees. Rem could see his face more clearly this time, and he shuddered at the sight. The creature was, he thought, human, or some small part so, but a primitive existence and spoiled lineage hadn't been too kind to him. His head was a misshapen oblong covered in seeping boils and lumpy tumors that threatened to split the skin, his eyes small and dark and deeply recessed under a sloping brow, his nose a mashed, broken appendage all but spread across his face like a piece of soft, rotten fruit. His mouth was the worst, though. Soft palate cleft, lips strangely puckered and leathery, hanging loose as though they'd been glued on by their horrid architect at the last moment. Teeth, a tangle of yellow and black discoloration against livid red gums. Where's the litlands? Great Mother asked. Swifty shrugged. Hey, chuck hunting, birding, egg picking, how should I know? Rim fought the urge to cry out. Little ones? Here? Among these? You've got to stole them, Rim thought. As long as possible, any way possible. Maybe if you stole them long enough, you'll think of something. Formulate a plan. See a way out of this. But he imagined there was no way out of this. He'd already reached his hands up quickly and subtly to his belt and found his dagger gone. The one in his boot might still be there. It was hard for him to tell at present, but summoning the strength and speed to reach up and grab it before his captors could hurt or kill him, that was a long shot. Great Mother and Swifty each had a collection of knives shoved naked into the hemp ropes that they both used to bind their tunics around their thin waists. Maybe if one of them got close enough, he could grab a blade and... No, that was foolish. He was hanging upside down. Even if he could snatch a knife and stab whoever stood right in front of him, whatever wound he gave them, even if fatal, would take forever to kill them. They'd have plenty of time to cast him into the dark ahead of them, or any of the others might intervene. Stole anyway, he thought. You've got nothing to lose. Every breath earned is hope. Try to remember that. I'm sorry, Rim said. I've totally forgotten my manners. Might we introduce ourselves? Great Mother, Swifty, and Siebel, all gathered in a tight cluster beside the cauldron and the cook fire, turned to stare at Rem as though he'd just uttered words in old Harunic. 
Fopsy and Brown Bond gave him odd looks as well, pausing briefly in their ministrations to the fire and the contents of that big iron pot. My name's Rem, Rem said, placing his hands on his chest to suggest himself. I've come from Yanara on my way to Erold. Who am I speaking with? Great Mother surprised him then by taking two long, swift strides across the littered floor and grabbing his balls with one of her claw-like old hands. The crone squeezed hard and Rem screamed to wake the dead. Gods, but that hurt. It hurt bad, worse than anything he'd ever experienced. You've got a name, and it's supper, supper, Great Mother snarled around her pitted gums. As for who's come claiming you, ain't you knowing nothing about the big wood? Ain't you heard who's the first, last, and best crow feeders hereabouts? I's the Great Mother, oldest and wisest of the Bosca clan, and these here are my striplings, my bloody brood. Welcome, Kina, to the family citadel. She gave his scrotum one last hard squeeze, then released it. Rem felt on the verge of vomiting. The pain of her assault and his long period inverted both threatening at once to overwhelm him. He coughed, sputtered, drew breath like a man who'd been drowning. He realized that his eyes were wet with tears and he might have uttered a sob or two as she'd squeezed. Pleased to meet you, he croaked. We's the jeepiest hereabouts, the shiniest and the bloviest, the bloodiest. Why, people sing songs of we, the bloody boskers, far and wide. If you come mopsing through this wood unknowing, you's a fool indeed. Fool indeed, Rem parroted the agony between his legs now subsiding to a dull, throbbing ache. Squidge him again, Great Ma, Swifty urged. I like it when he blogs like that. Please don't, Rim begged. Fine then, on to business, the old woman said, cackling as she did. Clearly she was pleased with herself for causing Rim so much pain. Now she shuffled nearer again. How many, she asked. How many won't, Rim asked in return. Great Mother hit him across the face. The touch of her rank skin, however brief, was enough to make him gag. How many come you? You's not alone, not in these woods. We seen your snaky train. If you saw, Rim said, then you know how many. Can't count, Swifty said apologetically. Not well. Shut your gullet, Great Mother snapped, then returned her attentions to Rim. Tell us now how many. Give us the trues and we'll do you quick supper. No pain, just whoosh, fast and neat out like a candle. There were 40 of us, Rem lied, and we're expecting a hundred more. The Duke was to meet us with a full company on a guard somewhere west of the River Ford. Forty and a hundred, Swifty gasped. That's more than 20, maybe even more than 30. My hand can work me, Siebel snuffled. Great Mother wasn't convinced. Rem could see it in the way her single eye narrowed suspiciously, probing into him like the point of a sharp bodkin. Lies, I says. Was it more than a score, most like? Maybe less. Fine, Rim said, thinking of another approach. You found us out. We're outlaws here to trade with the devils of the weld. To Rim's surprise, Great Mother suddenly stood upright, at least as close as she could come to it, and screamed in horror. It was a sound of shock and disgust and distress, a woman finding a rat in her larder calling for someone to come kill it. Devils! Bloody devils, Great Mother shouted. Curse them, crush them, mush them, touch them, peel all their skins and crack their bones and let their eyes pop jellyfied on the fires and feed the ants and snails. He names the devils. Swifty scurried forward and bent to speak to Rim. 
She hates him, devils, Swifty said as though in confidence. Best not to mention him again. Devils proud, devils pretty, devils pure, devils true. Ah, I shit on the devils. I blast all the stinking unholy smoke and my bum toward their groves and caves, and I piss venom on their cook fires. Swifty threw him another reproving glance. Please, sir, don't mention them again, then withdrew. The fact that Rem had just shared an intimate moment with a man wearing a mask made of human faces, that he'd seen that man's eyes deep within the mask's torn eye holes, and that those eyes, though faint and roomy, were anything but mad or inhuman, made Rem vaguely ill. But that was neither here nor there. Clearly, Great Mother hated the Red Raven and the Devils of the Wells, saw them as proud, upstart competitors, no doubt. He could most definitely use that to his advantage. And just what was it? The great mother demanded, moving nearer now. What was it you blighters bought to trade with these poxy louts? Rem tried to think of something that might interest them. Would they be pleased to hear that it was the Red Raven himself they'd been transporting? Would they be tempted if he mentioned weapons? Would they respond to need if he suggested they'd been trading provisions? What on earth could these backward, twisted people possibly want that would, for a moment anyway, keep them from killing him? He opted for weapons. You heard the booms, yes? Siebel and Swifty both nodded emphatically. Oh, yes. Heard that loud they was, like grand thunder. Smelled the smoke when the winds changed, too. Was that some wonder worker, some magic man calling the thunder out of the sky and the fire out of the earth? Rim shook his head. It was a weapon. Dwarven blasting powder. They use it underground for making tunnels and cabins of their own. Full talk, Great Mother spat. Ain't no low folk hereabouts. No, indeed, Rim said, wishing his own familiar dwarf would come barreling through the door of this mean little den about now. But the men in the armor, the strong men, the shiny men, they bought the blasting powder to use as a weapon against the Red Raven and the Devils of the Weld. Against? Great Mother asked thoughtfully. I thought you said trade. It was a trap in truth, Rim said, knowing there was at least some veracity in that statement. We came saying we trade with the Raven and his devils, but we sought to eradicate them. Swifty tried on that word. Eradi. Stamp them, break them, burn them to ash. Great Mother shouted at him. That's what eradicate means. Now pinch your top cutter, I'll pinch it for you. Swifty closed his mouth. Despite his fearsome mask and his strong frame, he looked like a scolded little boy. Great Mother was indeed intrigued now. So you says these blasties was meant to fire that raven and the devils, and Swifty here says he hears them. Ain't none left. Indeed, Rim lied. Many. You've only to waylay my companions and steal them for yourself. I'd say neither the raven nor his devils nor any of other pretenders in these woods would cross you after that. You'd have something none of them would have. That sounds lovely, Great Ma, Swifty said. Let's do it. Siebel and I can go. <laughs> Siebel said, clapping his misshapen hands. Body, body, purse. In the distance, Rim heard a hoarse barking that launched into a fierce whining howl. He wondered what kind of beast could make such a noise. Too wild to be a dog. Too high-pitched to be a wolf. Then he remembered they were in coyote country. It's Colby, south side, Swifty said. What do you know? Great Mother hissed. All those beasties sound the same. Not true, Great Ma, Swifty counted. I can tell. Each one's got his own bark, his own laugh, his own howl. We should cook them, Brown Bond muttered. We can't and you won't, Swifty shouted, looking suddenly agitated by Brown Bond's suggestion. He's just baiting you, Swifty, Fopsy said. 
She returned to chopping whatever twisted root she'd been peeling, tossing chunks into the stew cauldron. Once more, the coyote barked, but its call was altered this time. Barks devolved to a howl, but the howl was suddenly cut off. In its wake, silence reigned. Oh no, Swifty said, roomy eyes widening with the darkened holes of his human skin mask. You is that? Those flea-bitten beasts are your problem, Great Mother grumbled. Eyes with brown bun. Should have cooked them long time ago. Thieving things. They's the gods, Swifty said and moved toward the far side of the room now, out of Rim's field of vision. What was he doing? I's got to go. Siebel, you come too. Siebel shuffled to follow. Siebel, stay, Great Mother snarled. Swifty too. Swifty appeared to Rim again. Who's carrying a big, unwieldy weapon now, a hammer of some sort, the handle long and thick, the head small but clearly heavy, probably pure iron. It looked like a comically enlarged version of the maul Torvald was so fond of carrying. They bark because someone comes, Swifty said desperately. I's going to sight it. They barks because they're dog rodents, that's why, Great Mother said. Now put that hammer down. We ain't done with supper yet. Very nice. There you have it. Why do you not do audiobooks? Because oh, <laughs> that was that was nobody's impressive. ever asked me. Yeah, but, that was uh, yeah. I mean, I love Simon Vance's uh, narration of your books. But he's that brilliant, was man. Yeah, he's. Uh, it was. It was so funny. I basically asked for him, not thinking I would ever get him in a million years, and then they got him. So <laughs> I was pretty pleased with that. But yeah, no, I love. I love doing readings for exactly that reason. The voices are half the fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have a job if you ever need one. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you should definitely do some, you know, some uh, some recordings and send them off because I, I think you'd be great. I'll see uh, what I can do about that. Reading. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I hate, I hate to run, but I'm going to go ahead and no problem. Uh, be done. But guys, uh, definitely check out his uh, Fifth Word series. It's yes, absolutely please. phenomenal. I've read all three books in it. They're great. Uh, if you have like little police procedurals with a lot of fantasy thrown in. But uh, yeah. Dale, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody who, who came out and listened. I really appreciate the support. You guys have a great day. Thanks again, Dale. And everybody that's tuning in, World Building will be up shortly.